not going to help you, you know? So interesting stuff though. Um, sad, but interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if in the next four years they make marijuana federally legal and then completely corrupt the industry immediately. I think it's, I think it's already happening. I, I will say one of the things that, and again, I am by no means a massive smoker, and I'm not saying this as a caveat for anybody's benefit, just acknowledging the fact that like there's levels to this, just like there's levels to everything. Like I grew some weed outside for the first time in my life. And that felt made me feel so empowered in, in my own ability to, to do so versus having to rely on a source, you know, especially for something that's a plant. It was pretty, it, I don't want to use the word transformative, but like, it's pretty interesting to be able to do that. And then to think about how much money you actually pay at a dispensary. And mm. I'm not above going to buy some weed, but like, why, if I can, if I can do it myself. And, you know, I think like that, that vein of the narrative is interesting, you know, um, that you hear about from, from those hippie dudes because they wanted independence. A lot of them had PTSD too from Vietnam and shit. So cannabis is pretty easy to grow if you've got some sun and it, mm -hmm. for the difficulty that is involved, it gives you a, large amount of benefits mm -hmm. yeah and you know but it's also interesting like the nuances of yielding something that is smokable and does the trick too like again there's methods there's techniques there's levels there's, you know there's levels yeah for sure for sure at the same time anybody can do it and anybody could help themselves quite a bit mm -hmm. and i think that that is one of the criminal aspects of making it criminal mm. one of the, the major ones because it is medicinal for probably more than half of the people who use it mm -hmm. and i don't mean medicinal like treating a symptom-based disease that resolves um I see it as medicinal for like treating the struggle that is life. Like there are so many problems and pitfalls that happen with life. For instance, drug addiction. And mm -hmm. so many people could wean themselves off of drug addiction by essentially calming themselves down in a very anti-inflammatory way, in a rest pr promoting way versus one that's exhaustive, um, keep themselves out of trouble there's something to be said too and i mean look i i am by no means a a uh aficionado on psychedelics but there is something to be said about those scary moments too now look obviously people have psych psychoses that are linked to cannabis use right so like if you have that kind of a problem this this is, it's a much bigger thing than you getting really scared or freaked out or reaching that state of kind of deep introspective thought, but like as a tool for that too, you know, this, the quote unquote bad trip is always 
a like the cannabis trip is always a matter of perspective like you can you can dance with the devil like and really come out of it with some interesting insights it's kind of Uh, mentally therapeutic a lot of times i think so i think for two reasons like you know it augments things like intimacy things like food uh things like looking at the beach you know it it and your inner voice yeah which can which is the paranoid part that a lot of people you know because the inner voice isn't always right a lot of times Mm -hmm. the inner voice is doubt or fear but it gives you access to that inner voice that when used correctly it can be good to have you know a a second opinion to Mm -hmm. to your daily life um but what do you think about other people well i think that that inner voice you can get overly caught up with too Mm -hmm. like i think there's a a line between it being helpful and a line between for instance like just getting using cannabis like all the time and just going so deep that that you're just going back and forth internally um you know just kind of like kind of spinning your wheels right yeah, but, it's interesting because you could achieve that. You could get so used to the craving of the state without taking a moment to appreciate the state itself, just to, like, to get there. Because once you're there, it doesn't really change your situation, right? But it should augment your your daily life. Um, I think sometimes people like chase the high, you know, in order to level out uh, too, which is, I don't know interesting to me because i'm i'm not like that i think that that second opinion can sometimes level out a day mm-hmm. <laughs> my my regular mind will sometimes hear what somebody says as more negative than it actually was mm-hmm. and sometimes using cannabis and then getting that second opinion will give me access to the other person's point of view, which for whatever reason, like my, my mainstream mind just had a block to, it just wasn't Mm -hmm. trying to see. And it can prevent me from, uh, you know, like retaliating, I guess you could say. What do you mean? Sorry. I don't like retaliating against what, like, like following that negative self-talk or. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. in an energetic way, like, like becoming mad at somebody or Mm -hmm. uh, not wanting to interact with somebody when really the reality is it was like my misconception in the first place. It wasn't a real, it wasn't a real thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I know that that regular Patrick, for better or worse, quite often has a hard time knowing what's the real thing day to day with a lot of uh, a lot of what I do, whether it's Any interactions like, like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like interpretations, doing mm-hmm. doing things with investments, right, is another place where gosh a lot of that um, has to be gut gut feel right a lot I mean, of like gut obviously feel. it's predicated yeah but and then but, that the the self the what's it called the imposter syndrome and gut the imposter feel syndrome and the reality that sometimes you forget 
something that's really big. Like mm-hmm. you forget a factor that is a really big deal in how, how a situation is going to play out. And if you forget that your, your gut, you know, w- would have thought the opposite had that mm-hmm. been in mind. And it's kind of like a stop, like a check, like, okay, do we actually have our ducks in a row here? Or You're talking about psychology on so many different levels. You're talking about like self, like the psychology of the self, the psychology of the market, which is the aggregate of like a multitude of human beings. But it ultimately it boils down to like that. If you could distill it, it's, it's that gut versus, you know, the, the, it's the id versus the ego versus the superego in constant kind of discourse. I think when I think about like what you say about like how you as Patrick think about things and then you bring up trading, which is the market responding to how millions of people think about things, you know, it's just interesting how interconnected it is. Yeah. Yes. And it's something that, you know, you can't predict the future on. So all you're trying to do is remove as much interference as possible and then make decisions on a regular basis so that over, over time, sorry, over time, those kind of decisions play out statistically well, unless you don't make decisions well, and then it'll play out statistically poorly. But yeah, you're just trying to to get down to the essence of what you actually, like what your gut really is. You just want your gut to be being fed the right, the right stuff. That's why like martial arts um, is really helpful in those kind of scenarios because it allows you to have have calibrated your stress response system mm-hmm. so that you deal with different factors objectively so you've got practice at doing that yeah, because than, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system are a little bit more in control because the mm-hmm. fear of of conf, of combat of conflict is mitigated to a certain degree by putting yourself in that situation over and over again to where you feel comfortable in it. Definitely. Yeah. And to stay in it, you have to figure out the problem solving part of the game. And for the most part, do some problem solving each time that you train. And Mm -hmm. so that's just training for something like investing Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. It kind of, it calibrates things. It's helpful. What is a big influence for you? I mean, apart from martial arts and in your decision-making. Having been a small business owner, Mm -hmm. you can probably relate to that. I understand how many nuts and bolts go into the presentation of a product. That it's Mm -hmm. not, that it's not just, you know, it's not just a neck crack. It's not just a, uh, a spa treatment. It's not just a breakfast. There's employees and maintenance and real estate and advertising and uniforms and branding and all of those pieces that go into it. And I think that that helps me come from a, a more accurate lens than somebody who's just looking at whatever the product is on the surface mm-hmm. in terms of looking at 
a place to, to throw money at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, you bring up a valid point that I think a lot of people don't realize a, what it takes to really succeed at running a business, uh, you know, and I don't, uh, full transparency, I don't count myself as a, as an expert in that. I have. But you kind of grew up with it. Yeah. I mean, I have considerable experience. I also, I'm more of an expert in what not to do uh, and seeing how that is. But on the other side of the coin, working in advertising, you know, you see going back again to psychology, the messaging, the imagery, the things that are becoming the stimulus and the impetus to make somebody make a decision that ultimately leads to a conversion. You know, you can Monday morning quarterback uh, after the fact of like, whether or not the company is doing it for nefarious means or for whatever, but biologically speaking, if there's such a thing about a business as a, let's say an entity, right? If it was a, a biological organism, its whole existence is predicated on survival, right? So like this idea that advertising or that a business is altruistic, I think is nonsense there could you can be out you can have aspects that are altruistic but you do need to have the carnivorous aspects of it right like yeah it's it's know. influence right mm -hmm. and influence is a superpower but it's mm -hmm. also something that's eternal it yeah <clears throat> it's always been important and, and they're just different mechanisms to gain influence but that's what makes a product important and viable right it like mm -hmm. it either influences an industry or influences a generation mm -hmm. or, and, and it provides some sort of a utility. I mean, actually, let me rephrase that. There are, <laughs> one can argue that the Snuggie doesn't really offer that much utility. I'm only using it as like something, you know, or like Spanx, right? Like there's something that you would never think many people would ever want, but then it becomes this, multi-million dollar thing because you realize that it made sense utility is it made sense mm -hmm. even if it's ridiculous even if the marketing is ridiculous or and, and you know like whatever like the woman who started Spanx I was reading an article about her just super smart man like super smart diligent and kind of learned how to scale I think that's the other thing <laughs> you know like just like you scale up in belts and jujitsu you scale up in business too you know and once you reach your black belt level in business, you got to go for the coral belt. And then after that, you, you just continue. Like there's no, like being stagnant, like is not a great way to uh, succeed. My brother-in-law always jokes. He always says the same thing. He says, either you become acquired or you, um, you acquire, you know what I mean? Like kill or be killed. Yeah. Yeah. Or you fade out. Yeah. It's true. It's, you know, there's a lot of parallels to everything. I think um, that doesn't mean that you're not subject to your human nature, right? Like that's the big X factor is instinct and kind of uh, animalistic <coughs> instinct, you know? Yeah. Well, I like think that's, a big... that's a huge part of it. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people who try to, especially trading more than investing, because you can kind of like, you know how most of the investing books you read that are 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 um, philosophies or overviews where they present 
like a way to probably invest. They're usually pretty similar, like have some bonds, have some international stock market, have some US stock market. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's because it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Trading is more nuanced because you're betting on moments and you're, you're betting on failure and success. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and investing, you don't usually bet on failure. You try to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who want to be good at trading because it's a great mathematical vehicle for making more money more quickly, it's efficient, can't get over the fact that they're not always right. And so they never stop trading off of their opinion instead of incorporating like exactly how their, all of their trades play out and looking mm -hmm. at why they lose. And a huge part of trading is accepting what the public sentiment is. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, just because you don't like Tesla doesn't mean that the value doesn't keep going up and up and up and they don't keep getting more and more orders for the cars. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that should be, pretty straightforward that you, you need to go with the up and up and up on that one right. or you just keep losing money. In fact, the Tesla shorts lost a historic amount of money betting against Tesla over the last several years. No one's ever lost mm -hmm. more money because Tesla has gone up so rapidly mm -hmm. that those derivatives, they exponentially increase in gains and losses as, as right. things move. Um, and so, yeah, kind of learning the art of self-assessment so that you can then assess what's going on in the, in the world around you. So you can listen to what your gut really is trying to tell you about the real information, right? Like you've got to, again, it goes back to the feeding your gut thing, but you've got to feed your gut the right thoughts, the right, mm -hmm. the right philosophies, the right mental disciplines. And you need to be teaching your gut that you want to know what really is, like what is the truth? Just not mm -hmm. what do I think initially, but okay, what do I think? And now now the gut wants to know what does the public think? What's happening? You know, mm -hmm. how is the actual reaction going down? And when I think this, what usually happens? Do I is my opinion the am I a contrarian? Do I tend to think of the opposite of what's really going to happen? then you can play with that, right? Mm -hmm. But if you never understand that you're actually a contrarian, then you just bet wrong a lot. I'm a contrarian, mm -hmm. like statistically speaking. Like when I make opinions or bets about what should happen with the world, with certain events, they typically tend to do like the opposite, at least initially. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, my gut reacts to that at this point. And it becomes a lot easier to be like, oh, okay, this is what I would like to see, but this isn't what the public does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you, so you talked about like training your gut. I, I've, I've always had a hard time. So culturally speaking, right. Greek Greeks tend to be very loud people, very opinionated people, very, uh, at least Greek Americans, a lot of them successful business people. But one thing has always struck me, and that is just with the certainty that especially, I would say some of the, the, the men that I've come in contact with who are part of that community 
and I'm and I'm I'm focusing in on this because I've done a lot of business with Greek and Greek American business you know owners, but they have a tendency to speak with such absolute certainty about things that they have no frame of reference about, and that could be just a generational thing. Um, but I always find it to be um, detrimental to come with the opinion that you know everything. And I really try, like, being being a know-it-all is not, and it, it doesn't matter if you're right 95% of the time. You're not allowing your brain to um, train itself for the possibility that you're wrong, right? And I think that that's something that is, um, like, hedging, right? That's, like there's percentages to being right and percentages to being wrong. And what right. you talk about when greedy. you're saying, yeah. And you're saying like you're a contrarian and you tend to be wrong. Like you have the wherewithal to at least, well, or let's say tends to be wrong or that like your ideas initially sometimes aren't like what you expect, but you pivot. Right. So that's like a big business word, obviously. Um, but testing is a super important part of what I do as a profession. And I think it's a super important, part of what people need to do in their everyday life is to test hypotheses, to test themselves, to test, uh, you know, in a way that's not only like, okay, I'm going to test myself by let's say like running a marathon, but you know, if you treat it much more as like an actual experiment, right. With quantifiable results and test your hypotheses about, let's say your decision-making, like I was right three out of five times about the specific thing. What can I learn about it? Mm-hmm. You arm yourself with a lot more knowledge that is um, actionable. It's so know? interesting. You say that's literally how you can learn to trade a stock, like, mm-hmm. uh, like options on a stock is you just, mm-hmm. you just make, you whittle it down to just a stock mm-hmm. and then make it basic math, mm-hmm. you know? Instead of all of the stocks in the stock, you're just like, all right, I'm just, okay, what happened? How, do, what, how are my decisions playing out with this one stock? Let me just see what happens with this stock. Keep it extremely mm-hmm. simple. But the one thing I will say though, that like a test in and of itself is nothing without a plan though, right? So like, right. I think that's the, that's the one hard thing. And I'll speak personally, like from a, again, from a professional standpoint, I understand the value of testing with a, with like a testing plan and then being able to read the results and then subsequently be able to make, make, uh, educated decisions and change, let's say a product, um, design or interface, whatever, uh, with that. But like when it comes to personal stuff, we don't do that. Right. We don't, we don't iterate on ourselves because it takes a lot of work, you know, like, and I like to draw the connections between, a process that tends to be completely objective and then a being that tends to be very subjective and seeing where those two net out. Like jujitsu is a great place to do a lot of testing. You know, it's a great place to test technique, to test theory, to test physicality, mental fortitude, to test your ego. Because a lot of the times people think that they are, well, maybe just me initially, like before I started, one of the reasons why I got hooked on it was because I thought that I knew how to fight and I discovered that I didn't know shit. And like, I was like, okay, that's, you know, like that's, that's the truth. It's terrible. You know, I had to, yeah. I had to, to face it. Right. I got to you know, learn. Damn it. it. Yeah. 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 
What have I been you know? doing? Right. Well, I'll tell you what I, I was doing and what I think a lot of people do is posturing, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I played, I played rugby, you know, I knew how to dole out some sort of physical whatever, but like, that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as martial arts. It's not the same thing as, you know, it's just different. It's different. Um, how did you guys decide on your menus for your restaurants? Uh, this is a great question. Um, we didn't, uh, we decided on, we had people in the past make recommendations, but we, again, we never, we never iterated on it. We never changed. We would add stuff and people were like, yo, that's really good. And then we'd be like, okay, people like it. And then we keep it there and keep it there and keep it there. When what we should have done is every year or every three or four months be like, okay, this thing is only selling three units. You can't keep it for like Bob who loves it and is a regular. Yes, you should consider him obviously because regulars in the diner industry. Look, and also like we were operating a diner. Diners are the MO of a diner is you have an encyclopedia when you show up. It is. Is it, is it gone? Which? All? The the restaurants or? Yes. Uh, no, they're still, they're still there. Um, I'm not involved anymore. Are they closed? Really yeah, they're closed right now. Oh, and well, actually, one might be doing delivery. But, um, dude, I feel so bad for so many people. You know, this situation has been, I mean, I grew up above a restaurant. I grew up in a restaurant, and I worked in a restaurant that was owned by my family for most of my life. And then I- Restaurant was I, straight out of a mafia movie. Yeah. Yeah. Some but, of the warmest nights- I had in Chicago were in the winter pulling up to your restaurant and coming in and uh, having a, a warm meal and a bottle of wine and watching the people of the neighborhood, um, Old Town, mm -hmm. the watching yeah. the people of Old Town come in and, you know, get food for their families. And it's uh, a special thing. You know, it's a special thing. And there's places all over the world that are like these cornerstone, these cornerstone kind of like of communities. And I'd only seen them they, in movies, not, not on the level of, because the food quality was also special. Like it was, yeah, it, was it was really uh, good. High quality uh, Greek and, and American mm -hmm. diner food, I guess you'd call it. But the things that any, any American family would have grown up cooking, like their, their grandmother and mother would have been cooking. Mm -hmm. look food is a it's an intrinsic part to our way that we commune with each other i mean we can say that it's also a very unhealthy way in the way that we interact to with ourselves whatever but you know a diner is such a it's a cold weather thing you know it's a uh it's a new york new england Midwest. I know that they exist on the West coast. They're different. They're different. Um, they're different, which is okay. But like, you know, it's, it's a thing that um, it's disappearing too. you know, uh, it's not a sustainable business model anymore. I mean, apart from COVID having a menu that size and then like being able to make it affordable too. It's just not, it's not a, a good business model anymore. So nostalgia you learned a lot <clears throat> yeah nostalgia i uh i wonder 
I really wonder what the landscape is going to be like. I think if you can survive, however much longer this is going to be, the amount of money as a mom and pop place that you can generate when things kind of start coming back online is going to be astronomical. But the interim period is the real challenge, you know, it's the real challenge. It's all very tragic. Mm -hmm. And hopefully in, in a few years, we're not really saying that, like, I don't want to, I don't want to use language that's too extreme Mm -hmm. because I don't know the future and maybe the right people pull out at the right time or pull in however it Mm -hmm. needs to shake out. Yeah. I think the challenge with the, with the food industry specifically, right. Is you're in close proximity with people touching your food with your necessity of not wearing a mask at the moment. But I think in California with the weather being what it is and with us knowing that transmission is, I don't know, I'd hazard to say less outdoors versus being in like a cramped little diner in Chicago during the winter where it's freezing outside I mean, I, I think if you're in a warmer area, you should be allowed to at least have your outdoor dining open, you know, and not be completely shut down. Yeah. It's really tragic. What's happened in California there. It's everything's been so extreme, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm still thankful that at least I'm getting sunny days and that kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm still able to get outside and, but they've, they've shut down the world. Mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. really too bad it is too bad it's um i i you know i don't know i don't know what the correct response is uh i mean i i feel like the correct response is protect people what are they doing uh, in greece I, well in greece they're so locked down that you need like a text message proof and a piece of paper to to even go to the supermarket Jeez, i don't want to move like that yeah, but the but people still are going out and like swimming and like walking and stuff and able to be outside. It's just that you're you're kind of confined to your neighborhood. Um, if you're in the rural areas, it's a lot more open. You know, like right now the olive season is in full swing, and as a major commodity, and of course, like you're working in small crews and you're outside all the time, like you again, that's a, you have a little bit more of a leeway when you're working that kind of job versus being in a city. The issue with Greece is of course that their medical system is not great. So, and it has a very large elderly population. So, you know, you, you, the risks are, are, are severe, especially coming out of a economic crisis. So, uh, but the Greeks are, they're, they're, they're very malleable. Unlike, I think, our American friends here, you know, we have people laying down in Walmarts because someone's asking them to wear a mask, you know, while people in other countries are just accepting the fact that they're being told to stay inside. And they do. And they do. And somewhere in that gray area is what it is to be American. Yep. Yep. I just don't know where it is. I don't think anybody does, man. I think uh, I think that's the issue with an unseen enemy. Right. I mean, if you want to make comparisons to September 11th and COVID, the unity that a known enemy um, 
instills in people or a known, I don't want to use the word enemy, but let's say a known opponent, right? Is so motivating. And because people can't see it unless it happens to them now, they all are focusing on their inability to do the things that they were used to doing until they get sick or until someone they know gets sick and then they have a moment to pause, you know? So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's different for sure. Pause. Are you using a Mac or a windows computer? Mac. Have you looked into these new M1 computers? Uh, I, you know, I had looked at the mini Mac when I bought my iPad pro a few years ago, I looked at one and for the cost and what it offered, I was like, this shit makes a lot of sense because it is what, uh, what, like five inches by five inches maybe. And it sits in the corner and all you really need is to plug it into, um, all you need is a webcam. Like, I mean, you can get all the things to make it a fully functional thing, but it is, I think for the processing power. And for all the add-ons that you can then change, yeah, dude, I think it's great. So have you seen these new M1 chips? No, I haven't, but I know that they're pretty powerful. Okay. So that's so they've got them right now in the MacBook Pros, the mm-hmm. MacBook Airs, and the Mac Mini. The mm-hmm. MacBook Pro and the Mac Mini have uh, eight core M1 mm-hmm. processors. And the MacBook Air has no fan in it. It's a fanless design and it has one of the cores disabled. So it has seven working cores. And that's so that it doesn't run, it can run like at, at the same speed, but with less heat. It. So it's, it's slightly slower though. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the performance like the real world performance on these things, like with just eight gigabytes of RAM mm-hmm. is faster than like a 64 gigabyte, uh, like 10 core, whatever it is, Intel mm-hmm. Windows computer and faster than the fastest MacBook Pros from before mm-hmm. at the entry level. The fan has yet to turn on on this <laughs> Mac mini. And you're just pushing it to the limit right now with all your plugins and everything working. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And with that move, it not only, to me, it's bigger than just them making their supply chain more efficient Mm -hmm. and cutting costs a little. They have (coughs) revolutionized home and business computing processor performance Mm -hmm. and power consumption. And uh, goodness gracious. <coughs> you all right? Or just uh... COVID. <laughs> and because it's, it's an integrated graphics chip mm-hmm. into this thing, they have put a serious dent in AMD, NVIDIA, and mm-hmm. Intel. Uh, games and and potential markets Mm -hmm. and depending on how quickly other companies are able to catch up because they're kind of like tesla all of a sudden they've beaten Mm -hmm. these this other industry at its own game 
I see that company potentially being worth like 75% more than they are now because not only could they become a supplier of even more computers to end users um, and, and have repeat customers from all of their clients once they get the full line of M computers out. But if they start selling to windows manufacturers, it will be, mm. it'll be a massive thing. Well, the other thing that they do from a design standpoint, right, is what I find so what I so it's interesting. I the only place I don't do Mac is on my phone or or Apple is on my phone, which is an interesting kind of idiosyncrasy. And I I realize it. But, you know, my artwork like the, the, the new MacBook Pro is. So they have done such a great job, first of all, with their accessibility of their operating system, right? So even if you are sight impaired or if you have a, you know, special needs, they've, they have been pioneers in kind of considering how you can utilize their technology with any sort of kind of uh, challenges that you might have, or even, you know, with the way that it speaks to other pieces of technology, right? I mean, we talked about AirDrop, I think one of the phone calls that we had, but their rules behind the design, the way that they are constantly updating their design system in the iOS, the way that they are always pushing the envelope with certain kind of new avenues. I mean, they're the first ones to make the iPhone. So, I mean, that was a revolutionary device. And I know a lot of other people have caught up and one might argue there's better phones, but like for tablets, I mean, the the ability that my my first gen MacBook Pro or my my first gen iPad Pro can do still the amount of artwork I can do the things that I can do on it, the way that I can use it as a second monitor now that they updated the OS of Mo, of uh, Mo, uh, Catalina, like now I can plug in my my um, uh, iPad and then and make it a second monitor, like that th- all these kind of small things that they do to kind of constantly push the envelope I think is one of the reasons why they, they stay ahead, at least from like an ideation standpoint. Um, they make your brain think, flow more efficient. Mm-hmm. There are fewer options, but the options all make more sense. They do. They really kind of thought about the UX. I you know from gaming. And again, I don't game on a computer really game that much. You got to have like, a PC. Yeah. That's what everyone says. So I don't know how Linux stacks up with like, you know, windows uh, for, for that, ability to be able to process and things like that. I have no idea, but um, you know, everyone, everyone swears by PCs. So that's all I know. Gaming PCs are one of the best values out there. Oh, for sure. I think way more of a value than PlayStation or Xbox, but I'll be honest with you that I think that what it, the difference is, is like just how you become nerdy, you can become nerdy about anything. Like if you are into PCs and their performance and everything, I think that's like the barrier of entry for someone who just wants to sit down, turn on and play a game or watch a movie, you know, and there's, and there's value to that too. But I think like for the hardcore PC, like aficionados and you get into like building your own tower, your screen resolution, your, your chips, but you're right. I think you can constantly upgrade it without having to like wait for the next best thing which I think is, have you been following what's been going on with uh, PS5 and the, um, Cyberpunk. the Grinch? The, well, not just that, but like the Grinch, the Grinch bots and how, you know, they are like, bot, there's a whole black market for them right now because the demand is so high. It's pretty interesting. No. What are the Grinch bots? So 
it's it's interesting because I had pre-ordered one and then I thought to myself, do I really want to pay $500 right now? Or do I want to like, I'm an adult, I can wait. And then I catch myself full transparency being like, I wish I had not, I wish I'd gotten the new shiny thing. And then I have to have this like inner debate with myself about like whether or not it's worth it. All that aside, people have basically been utilizing bots to buy up inventory and then they turn around, they sell it for a hundred percent markup on like eBay and things like that because there is a shortage. So they used bots to basically buy bulk and the return on their investment has been pretty substantial because especially before Christmas, the demand went through the roof because the supply wasn't there. The internet so, is undefeated. Yeah. So they, they, the, I don't know, somebody started calling them Grinch bots because it's like the Grinch stole Christmas because little Johnny's not going to get his PS five, which Johnny could honestly, get dude, iller it's PC fine. for $750. Right. Right. And also dude, like, I know right now that the people who have the means really, this has been a hard year for everybody. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to go to comfort. We want to go to like the special. We want to do that. There's something to be said about abstaining. There's something to be said about continuing to save during this time, if you can, because coming out of it on the other end of it, we, cause you don't know how long this is going to continue either. So I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in like, really calculating what it is that you want to spend your money on because it makes you feel better. Cause I, I, I see a lot of things on social media about like allowing yourself to have bad days right now. That's great. Allowing yourself to do this, allowing yourself to do that. A part of me agrees with that. A part of me is also like, maybe now's the opportunity for you to also step the fuck up, you Get know, and like, you know, Maybe, maybe that discomfort that you're feeling is a good thing because then it pushes you to that next thing. Um, it is a double-edged sword. I have definitely gotten burnt out from, from working and trying to just knock it out of the park every day when I wake up because I can wear shorts at work and I don't have to commute. And I know that like there are times in the day where I can walk into the front room and watch some Netflix with my girlfriend, you know? So there is that bonus to it, but like, I, I you know, I don't know. I think, I, I think it, I think there needs to be some sort of a gain coming out of this. I think there is going to be at least communally between the way we communicate. You know, I uh, dropped my father off at the airport and I realized it was the first time I'd hugged him uh, in like six months, which is fucking wild to Creepy. think about. Yeah. You know, it, it is. My it longest is. conversations it's, tend to be, um over the phone or over video mm -hmm. this year yep yep other than with with my partner mm -hmm. but right yeah otherwise it's so distant i might as we the other day it was really foggy out dark and we both were kind of like it feels like we're almost like on a spaceship or something like that just floating along waiting to what see the next are? Waiting to see the, Waiting to see the aliens. Yeah. Waiting to see the fucking aliens whenever they come down. What do you, you know what? I, we haven't really talked about that. What, what What are your opinions on that Israeli guy saying that there's like a federation of them and that, you know, I mean, listen, you know me, I always dip my my big toe in, in the conspiracy well when it comes to aliens specifically, not like other stuff. Um I, I just think it's really interesting that like the New York Times 
is reporting on fucking UFOs now. Like that's, it's like, a, it's surreal, you know? I wonder if we can handle the truth and I'm not in any rush to get it, but I'm also not afraid to keep getting information. You know, I guess for me, I just always took the mathematical, you know, when you think about how, how much information we've learned, even in the last five years about how many habitable planets there are that, that are habitable to us, right? As a carbon light form that evolved under these parameters on this rock that's floating through the void. It's just, it's just not a question of if it's a question of when, you know, when and where, yeah. right. Yeah. And there's enough, like, you know, I was thinking earlier in the conversation, how people last year, so many people just got in their car and drove for like an hour and a half each way to go mm -hmm. sit somewhere else and work hard for the whole day. And then they get back in their car and sit more for an hour and a half. And that doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense really. Right. Mm -mm. But, that, but that's where we were at. Yeah. And then, and now, and now, and, and throughout life, we have behaved in a way and the world has behaved around us in a way such that we have depended on creation stories to move us, to move us through time, to give us meaning to all of this. And like growing up, I studied the, the Christian creation story pretty regularly. And It is just as psychedelic slash um, extraterrestrial as any of these discussions of of an extra mineral that are, is on some other planet that allows fusion propulsion of mm -hmm. rocketry. I mean, that, that I can have that kind of conversation, right? Like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about something that sounds all that unbelievable at that point, and and that's. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's what the discussion of aliens is is like right now. So I don't find it that far fetched when we have we have bigger stories already that people have no problem believing and we have no problem accepting people for believing. You know? Sorry, I muted myself because of the the fire trucks. Um, I have a, I wonder, you know, we've talked about metaphysical things. There are so many things that we have yet to understand about our own existence, right? In our own natural world that surrounds us. And I wonder what, I hope there are people who invest the same kind of brain power or hope or faith in, or, you know, interest in, in those things as well. You know, like we have insane neural networks of, of mycelium that make trees communicate and it's proven, right? We have, you know, animals that can change their skin texture and color at will with DNA that is completely foreign to other animals, you know, like cephalopods are like that. You know, we have these things, these 
and not only that, like you and I've talked about intention manifesting itself as energy and that energy kind of carrying through and vibrating across, you know, your timeline and the individuals that you meet. Resonance. Like, yeah. And, and that's something that used to be woo woo. But then if you think about it from, let's say like a physics perspective and you think about atoms and how they move, I mean, heat is vibration, you know, like there, there are all these things that I think are, I just take not for granted, but that I've just said, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like why wouldn't I be able to exert my kind of energy onto someone else? Like, you know, dude, you've been in dangerous situations, you know, when someone's up to no good, like, like that, that animal instinct that like, you know, tingling in the back of your neck, there is something to that, that is both physical and I would say metaphysical in the sense that, you know, maybe you're, you're honing into something primal of like when a tiger was staring at you through the grass, like these things are, we just take them for granted. Like oh you yeah. Talk you about definitely gut. take things for granted. Yeah. You talk about gut. That's what that is. You know, I mean, I think you can train these things, you know, breath, guts, I don't know, sleep, thought, dream, all that thing, all those things. I think that they, they play a role. And, and you we can get numb to that. Yeah, exactly. You can get numb. You can alienate yourself mm -hmm. from your ability to exert energy over mm -hmm. people, places, and things. Uh, that's another thing the martial arts does. You and it, you're not dealing with negative energy, which is for the most part, which is good. But mm -hmm. you're you're exchanging energy with somebody, and you're learning that like you're reinforcing that it's something that you're dealing with all day. This is just a lot mm -hmm. more gravity, a lot more inertia mm -hmm. than you're getting hit with most of the day, but it's there. And right. you're learning that you can kind of exert the right counters, the right directions to affect that energy in a way that it works out better for you. And um, when you feel it, when a white belt will get like, uh, or not even a white belt because there's some world-class white belts, but like, you know, a new person who's never done jujitsu, the amount of strength needed for them to feel grounded and confident because they have absolutely no fucking clue what they're doing. I mean, we've all been through no that. No control Everybody, over that energy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there lies that, that. that you can affect other things. Mm -hmm. Hard to say what but you can certainly affect other things with the way you apply your energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think that um, a big part of understanding that I think involves being still mm. and not having a stimulus all the time. And you made a, you talked about driving somewhere in order to work to then drive back we are we are being bombarded by stimulus right now even especially in this way that we're communicating right because we're staring at a screen yeah i can see your face i can see your reactions you know but it is one step removed and there's all I these wonder, yeah there's all this stuff in between yeah i wonder what i wonder what that is going to do like i wonder i wonder are we facing a are we facing a crisis in our evolution right now where we cannot 
deal with the lack of stimulus. I have I mean, a hard time. I, yeah. I, I go to sleep to listen to podcasts or books. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. I don't, Me too. I get it. If I go to, if I lay down and don't have one going, then I start having the, uh, the thoughts about un- the uncertainty of the times mm-hmm. just, just do nothing productive for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same. I, I was up until 3am last night cause I couldn't sleep because I was just thinking about all these things that have transpired this past year, but maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's like a shedding, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a big proponent of therapy and I know that that's like one of those things that you can do that, but self-soothing, like we have a pacifier. That's what our phones are. I mean, it's proven, right? The 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 dopamine burst and everything. It's a pacifier. You know, I'm not. I, I'm, not I'm very intrigued just, about that because without mm-hmm. that pacifier, this would have been a more difficult year for me. One hundred percent. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not casting necessarily aspersions on it. Like, I'll I'll give you an example. Like, I I play D and D, which has been my way to socialize. And although I'm staring at a screen, I kind of view it as like I'm not. I am not consuming other content that was created. I'm, I feel like I'm doing like a communal storytelling thing, whatever my interests are in that, that's secondary. But like, I agree without this, without the ability to be able to pick up my phone, you know, but again, then I, I playing devil's advocate would, if, if, if we were kind of what was going on with the Spanish flu, A, do you think things would have been transmitted as much? Do you think we would have had as much angst because people are staring at these things all day and making comparisons and whatever. Like I know we've talked more about people it. died. You have a, we yeah. would have had more people dying. Sorry. You, you were saying, well, I know you have made a very uh, salient point of saying that like you can control the stimulus that social media affects on you. Yes. Um, but I think that comes because we grew up at a time where we existed before it. Yeah, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think that the mm-hmm. people who want uh, social media or want to use it a tool, as a tool for themselves need to go at it at a way that it works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, look, being able to see your family at least and have a conversation with them while, it, especially during this time of the holidays, while it's not ideal, it's better than not knowing if they're alive or, you know, worrying about that. Um, plus with our phones, like, dude, I set up my COVID tests through my phone. I mean, like, there's just so many, there's, there are benefits, you know, I, I, I do think that social networks are problematic. Uh, I believe that strongly. And I still, not strongly enough to where I got off for a while. Now I'm back on, but like, you know, um, I do think that if we were able to educate people on, on that aspect, maybe they could control themselves a little bit more, but it's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a loaded thing, but I, I, I agree with you. I think had, had we not had access to each other and to maybe the pacifier, it would be harder this time. I grew up with AOL Instant Messenger, mm-hmm. but I didn't grow up at a time when you always had access to a computer. Yep. And you had to get on the phone line and dial in and someone was on the phone. So you had to wait. You didn't have that immediate, immediate access. 
And I, I moved around as a kid a bit. And I also um, went to different schools and, and I went away for things. I, I spent a bit of time on my own ish mm. and I was lonely a lot, whether it was a Friday night studying while other people were out and I'd missed so many Friday nights that if I stopped studying, I wouldn't even really know who to call or, mm-hmm. you know, what, where to go or whatever. And the ability to access customized media was kind of an answer to avoid that, like just organically developed in my life. Mm. And other people don't have that void and it, they probably do well to avoid <laughs> <laughs> just inserting media in there to keep them company. Right. But for me, I've, for instance, like now I can get news whenever I want and trade with ease. And in the time that I've been trading, now I can even do it for like free. Like there's no fees mm-hmm. to the trades. And that's such a, that sets me up to survive this sort of thing better. But it also is such a far cry from my understanding of what it took to create a product or a way of generating money when it was tied to, you need to open an office, develop a staff, create a marketing plan, create services offered, talk someone into care, give them an adjustment, make Mm -hmm. them feel better, find Mm -hmm. someone out, you know, this long process that involved lots of overhead and lots of pressure versus this virtual world where depending on what you choose, it's all, it's all right there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would have more of a frame of reference for this, but I know that teledoc appointments are becoming, look, I don't know for chiropractic, it's gotta be difficult to do that, but I think like remote care is going to be a major thing that, that is going to make insurance companies a shit ton of money, you know, because doctors can just stack appointments and just sit in front of a computer and do instead of having to have an office to your point. Um, yeah, we are on a precipice, I think, of a sea change in the way that we do work. I think any major corporation that has real estate that they have offices in, why would they want to pay for that upkeep now? You know, I mean, like, wh- why? I mean, I, I understand that I there's it's going to create some rearrangement in the commercial markets. It will. I also think there are certain industries where you need to be in person. I think an agency, especially a creative one, like brainstorming in person, being able to have client meetings, but see, maybe, maybe I'm just biased and don't even realize it. Like, you know, part of having an office, let's say in, in a, in a prestigious building, for example, is to wow a client, you know, there's a psychological aspect of like, you're coming to see our agency and the look of it. And, you know, the way that, Google's campuses, the way that Twitter's building, you know what I'm saying? Like these things are vehicles to convince people to do business with you. When it gets to this, I think this then is the, the, this is more real in some ways, despite the fact that it's behind a digital curtain. Like I've spent the last year literally seeing into people's homes, seeing their kids, seeing their pets, having to 
acknowledge the fact that they've got to raise kids and the kids will come running and screaming by or say hello. We have a window into people's personal lives in a way that's, I don't want to use the word voyeuristic, but like, I think that there's some, there, there's some positive stuff rubbing off from it. You know, like you realize that, okay, I don't need to put on a facade. Like the way that we interacted in an office doesn't necessarily need to be the way that we're doing it. Like it's today a hard day because someone, you know, got sick and died. You tell your coworkers that, and then they're like, yo dude, take a day off. Like that would never have happened a year ago. You know? I mean, so in, in that regard, I think there are some, I don't know, some powerful things happening. When I was a teenager, I went to a couple of different schools and being the new kid at smaller schools, they're very clicky and it was hard to get to know, especially girls well, um, Yeah. It was, it was hard to get to know a bunch of different girls. Well, mm-hmm. and the existence of AOL instant messenger gave me an outlet to occasionally get to know like an extra person. Well, who might act a certain way in a social setting or mm-hmm. might need to only talk to so-and-so in a social, you know, whatever the, the pre-existing condition would be. Um, Mm -hmm. And even though it wasn't as organic as just sitting next to someone, sometimes it was even more organic because sometimes it made you braver to be Mm -hmm. a little more honest or to maybe ask about something a little more personal. And Mm -hmm. you, I've gotten to know people really well in my life more than once over text and iMessage, I feel like was an extension of that. Mm-hmm. that really revolutionized it. Um, and now obviously that's evolved into Instagram. People talk mm-hmm. via that messaging system um, very efficiently, you know, but, mm-hmm. but iMessage does it very securely and the delivered thing and the fact that someone could have it anywhere they, they were mm-hmm. the combination of those two moves just, and then being able to send pictures just really, um, I think, was an evolution in people's ability to communicate. And of course, now we see people over communicating mm-hmm. because they, yeah, they I, can yeah, always I emote mean, and communicate. Well, this is the whole thing about neural network now, right? Like, you know, you brought up cyberpunk. Uh, I'm playing it right now. Uh, interesting whole the whole situation are you playing it on pc or are you playing it on the no, ps5 i'm playing it on ps4 the base mm-hmm. one so like i am one of those so people i heard that it's super in- bad on that oh yeah it is but you know what i mean i i'm still enjoying the story what is really interesting is uh, see for me being a fan of like writing role-playing game scenarios and seeing the technical kind of ability for the writing of it but also like thinking about like it's showing you a version of this like 80s kind of interpretation of the future but dude everyone's plugging into everybody there's like calls all the time you you can see into people's head like i think that is a very realistic realistic 
like future state that we could potentially find ourselves in, you know? I mean, absolutely. People are going to, people are already breaking off. So like you first, you had the social networks appear and now because the narrative is that things like Twitter and, and YouTube and all these other things are, are censoring, you're seeing the uh, fracturing into smaller clicks that use their own networks. I mean, everybody can set up a VPN now. I mean, we're moving in that direction. Like if I wanna have a secure conversation with you via text, I'll use Signal, right? If I, if I am more conservative leaning and I don't wanna be on Twitter because I feel like whatever, I'm gonna go on to some other social network. Um, it's not for everybody, but like, I mean, look, the, 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 what is it? You talk about AOL chat rooms were the first iteration of this, you know, a place where you could be safe on the internet. And then people started watching that. And so then you had to set up your VPNs and then, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's happening. It, it, human beings organically want to find a way around control structures. And they, they organically want to push the envelope, I think of communication and access to now, now that they have technology. So I don't know. Um, it's a wild I have, drive. I have delusions of grandeur that I'm going to live on a farm and not have, uh, and, and just have internet and like not be part of all of this. But I don't know that that is how that's going to happen considering that I work in tech. So <laughs> I might live on a farm and have a tricked out studio. Yeah. And yeah. utilize as much technology as I possibly can, including robots to help me water the plants. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get yourself a couple of drones. Give yourself a little robo helper. Yeah. I mean, I think we are like, we are living. Make it a lot easier to have your own farmlet. That's true. And we're on the precipice of sci-fi. Right. I mean, it's here already. Minority you report. Know? Yeah. Yeah. We're on the precipice of like real sci-fi. It's, I mean, it's exciting. A lot of people are terrified exciting. of it, but I I just see it as here. We, like it's, it's coming. It's like getting in a fight. Like when, when the fight has begun, it's like, okay, you, here you are. You can pretend it's not happening, but it's, it's happening, buddy. And here we and it's are. It's all about We're opportunity, right? right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's about opportunity too. If you can create opportunity for yourself, I mean, like the way that you work right now, you know, I mean, I guess the way everybody's working right now is remote, but I'm saying like, you have a lot more control over your workflow and your income than ever before because of the technology. Right. I'm a so benefactor. Traditional, yeah. Traditional, traditional modes of work are changing. Um, you know, this whole, the whole dialogue about disruptors, right. In industries is just really interesting because it's just a rehashing of like Uber cracks me up because what does it do? It takes away the medallion from the taxi drivers. That's really all it does. Because anybody can become a taxi driver. You just have to pay for the medallion. And there's right. certain systems in place. Uber said, no, everybody gets to be a taxi driver. You get to pay, you get paid whatever the fare is. We're going to surge price too when the demand's high. And then, you know, but now those people want to be independent contractors so that they can get insurance. So like, it's, it's always changing. And yes. you have to insert yourself into that at yes. some point. Predict those Somehow. cycles. Yeah, I uh, the only thing I think uh, it's really interesting. So I'm um, going back to the cyberpunk thing. Did look at this data breach, this this Russian hacking thing, like 
I mean, it happened in the last election. It happens all the time. I mean, you know, Snowden was looking at it. like, I mean, it's, it's there. It's just now that it's all there. And it's been there since we had phone lines. I mean, they, have you ever seen it was how they easier got... back then? They just yeah. tap in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I know, I know a thing or two about tap phones. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they could just do that to you. They can. You and you know breathing. what? <laughs> that's right. You can, you'll hear little clicks on the line. Uh, Is that's that you? No. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just much more sophisticated, you know? Right. Right. Now the computer's telling us if they're listening or not, and the computer's listening for us. And yeah. But you're right. It's all very cyclic. Yeah. Very ever present. You know, way back in the day, they probably had like little people just hiding up in rafters. Just Oh, spying. for sure. I mean, ninjas, dude. That's right. what ninjas were doing. There you, go. you know, right. yeah. ninjas, ninjas were literally clandestine operatives that would spy. I mean, spying has been something that everybody's done since. I mean, you do that to you do that at the washing well because gossip is because information is power, you know. We went on a tangent, but still, it's, uh, you know, it is interesting to see kind of where we're going to net out. I think, uh, I think finding a place where you can be outside most of the year uh, is important, though. I think warmer or more manageable climate is important. But, like, it's 50 degrees in Chicago in the middle of December tomorrow, and that's crazy. That's exciting. Depends on who you ask. I, I, uh, I'm concerned only that it's like, too warm. you know, yeah. Look, man, you, I think for this year, I'm glad that it's been warmer so I can be outside and walk and like not have severe snowstorms and, you know, have to like walk through that just because I'm stuck in my house. So I'm thankful that we've had a mild, mild winter, but you know, I wonder what the implications of all that's going to be for us because COVID is one challenge, right? But if if the environment starts, remember when we took a month off and the whole world started regenerating, mm-hmm. and then we stopped taking that month off and it's back and then, to the races. Yeah, it went back. Yeah, I know. It's really interesting how homeostasis can be achieved very quickly. Just I was by letting by nature that. do its thing. Yeah. One might argue that that's what COVID's doing. Cool. I was watching the Delta and was was watching like all of the the reeds and and the Aquarius vegetation mm-hmm. just breathing, just respiring. And it was just fascinating to watch like the whole cycle of how it was just like using the different plants that were just floating along the Delta to oxygenate stuff and clean. And then they could get mm-hmm. caught up at certain areas and then birds would walk around and eat the flowers that had just fueled up from that. And then bop, 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 bop. And it's just so much more intricate and just so much simpler at the same time than so much of the nonsense we do. I think patterns are incredibly powerful and i think that we like the true understanding of things comes from understanding patterns Mm. and i think that those patterns are begin in the imperceptible like quarks 
and then resonate into how gravity operates and is affected by the spheres in our own solar system, you know? And I think that that's why like, you know, this whole thing about uh, this divine clockmaker, you know, is is uh, appealing to people, you know, people who are scientific, but still maybe believe in faith is like, it really is. It's, it's it, everything, everything kind of fits into that gear of the other thing and everything turns. And when things go out of whack, shit breaks. But then the machine, you know, it pivots, it, it recalibrates, and then it continues down another trajectory of gears. Um, and, and, and look, we, we got out of the savannas and built cities because we observed patterns and improved on certain things. Exploitations. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you watch the, the cycles of plants grow and you realize that seeds are intrinsic to that and they need certain things. And, and then you start like animal husbandry has been happening. Like uh, terraforming was done by ancient peoples. They would burn forests in order to improve their chances of getting game. Like, we always exert on energy. The, yeah. Control. Exactly. Always. Vibrations. Physics. <laughs> Physics. <laughs> you sound like a Wu-Tang Clan song now. <laughs> heavy, heavy resonance through the 36 chambers. That's right. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking about the Wu-Tang, by the way, I have, um, I'll show you. I have this, uh, whatever. I have this, I got this uh, poster um, that said, uh, presidents are temporary, Wu-Tang is forever. It's like a big election Amen. poster. Um, and uh, I was thinking about the RZA yesterday. It's funny how a nerd, like a, like a true nerd, and I mean that in like the best sense of the word, someone who was into Kung Fu films, who didn't have a great like setup, was able and and then also took like think about how many disparate personalities exist in that group and was allowed to like was able to combine them distinct into into this really groundbreaking uh, to this like, day never never equaled no no unparalleled i am i i would say for me like one of the the one of the more I, i'm making a lot of connections right now but you know, with, with the passing of someone dear to me, I became introspective and I had this weird tangential thought about like, what, what is it that got me like to I, where I am today, both negative and positive, like cause and effect. And then for some reason I was thinking about the Wu-Tang Clan and I was like, dude, it got me into martial arts. It did. Cause I was like watching Kung Fu flicks got me into Westerns, got me into Japanese cinema, which got me into Japanese culture and like all these things got me into jujitsu it's very interesting to, to follow that pathway of interest um, and to get to where I am today. So the Wu-Tang Clan was very, <laughs> very formative for me. Um, having no frame of reference as, a, as a, a Greek kid from Chicago to what the fuck they were talking about well, that's, from Shaolin. You know, they, the same thing happened with so many Jewish kids and Irish kids and mm -hmm. Russian kids yeah. that, that just had no idea of it. They got, it, they got schooled. They got a proper understanding of the technique. I, yeah. I also think that like I have the Tao of the Wu-Tang. I don't know if you ever read that book. I believe I did. Yeah. I think they did such a good job of really bringing 
like everybody into their their very insular slang like as if it they just did it from the get-go and so people were like what are they saying and then you start understanding like there's so many more metaphors the world, the way that yeah they, yeah yeah world. it's a whole world it's really it's really neat so i think um yeah I, I didn't think we'd end up talking about the wu-tang clan but i like they are they are formative for me i always have been I don't know how their music will fit into the history. Like we know how important they are, but I, I wonder if Wu-Tang Forever will be an album that, that kids end up, end up finding like they find, uh, I don't know what kids find now, like, but like I found Operation Ivy or Led Zeppelin oh, or yeah. something like that. I wonder, or I wonder if it'll just be something that isn't touched anymore and just is known as a foundation. But I feel like there's a period where the production became pretty much timeless because the early stuff did sound kind of primitive, but the production became timeless and everybody was really in their pocket. Yeah. And it's a whole education on, on lyricism and, and like hip hop, like rapping, mm -hmm. like, like that, that's serious music. Mm-hmm. I think uh, as long as people smoke weed for the first time and listen to uh, the White Album or Thirty Six Chambers, I'll t I had a I had two interesting experiences: one on cannabis and one not. I decided to watch live performances of famous music that I had become inundated with, and put myself in the mind state of saying, "Okay, I'm gonna watch Jimi Hendrix play." Like, like one of his first broadcasts, Black and White, and imagine what it would be like to have never heard a sound like that before. And I did that with Hendrix. I also did that with Johann Sebastian Bach and the Brandenburg Concertos. To think about sitting in a concert hall in Vienna and some dude comes out and plays what essentially is jazz. I mean, really, it's essentially jazz on a harpsichord at the speed that, that the harpsichord solo in the Brandenburg concerto is and being like, like, where do you go from there? Or hearing Mozart for the first time, you know, or even you can even go like, look, you know, tonal, tonal resonance is like a major thing that we know impacts people's emotions. I mean, that's why there is mathematics behind music. I mean, it's, it's always going to be there because we are just intrinsically tied to it. But, um, yeah. So, but, but I was going to say the other experience was like, I had never listened to New York hardcore from the eighties. And I started listening to like Gorilla Biscuits. I started uh, listening to all these dudes because I had listened to John Joseph Cromag talk about how being vegan and straight edge tied into this incredibly aggressive musical style and like what PMA was all about. And I just, it's just so interesting, you know, but that's how my mind works. I, I like, I like that kind of stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, so I think as long as you can get stoned and listen to an album start to finish, um, you know, if anybody ever watches this, my recommendation would be go down the list, go down, I don't know, Rolling Stones top 100 albums of all time and actually listen to every single song in the order that they put mm. it out. In, in the order it that changes. they put it out. Yeah, man. Like if you listen to, well, it's like an, it's too. like an hour a day for you could do it in a year. 
pretty yeah. easily. Every third day, listen to one album. And there's going to be albums on there that you you wouldn't even think to listen to, but it's you know we li- we're so used to listening to to chart toppers, single songs, next song. An album structurally is also part of that journey, right? Like if you listen to um, Queen's "A Night at the Opera," it's called "A Night at the Opera" because it has uh, it, a beginning act, a middle act, and then the final act. And so people, they do that on purpose. And so like Sublime, uh, Sublime, Sublime, I think is one of the most perfect albums. That and Fuji's The Score, two of the most perfect albums ever made, ever, in my opinion, especially The Score. I mean, you're talking about, I think they released two or three albums after that, but it won a Grammy, like start to finish. You can listen to every single song. It takes you on a trip. It does. Yeah. It, take, it takes you to, to the hood in Long Beach. It takes you to New York, mm-hmm. to into an immigrant neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listen to so much jazz these days, and excellent. When I first started listening to jazz years ago, I tried to figure out what songs were the good songs and listen mm-hmm. to them. And that's that's a really steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. But I found myself enjoying most about it these days is hearing the context within the music Mm -hmm. like so many songs have parts like so many songs almost behave as albums because they'll be 10 11 minutes long and Mm -hmm. certain parts work so well because of other parts Mm -hmm. that show up there and unless you just let the thing play and if you're really if i'm really not digging something i just skip to the next thing yeah But otherwise, I just kind of let it play, and then the moments find me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why you know what? Oh, it does make sense. So my stepmom had a jazz club, right? And like that's where I learned the appreciation of watching it live. And when you listen to live performances, when the switch happens between solos, people clap. Middle song. It's like the only genre music where it's acceptable to clap during we were talking about that actually um about going to the green mile over the weekend Mm -hmm. and that i had taken jenna to the green mile um Mm -hmm. when we were in chicago and Mm -hmm. how how neat that was for her but the the courtesy and how that works like there are the applause Mm -hmm. in the middle but also like you need to shut the fuck up while people are trying to play Mm -hmm. yep yep because you're you're there to yeah and and it depends like you know, going, going there, my buddy was a bartender there. And um, there was this band that's now defunct, who I would really recommend called Sabretooth. And they would play bebop like from the 50s, but it was like with a, a modern edge. And their whole thing was raucous, but they would always be an end of the night band, right? Because you knew when, when Sabretooth was playing, it was about like, it was about like the, getting dirty with it. But then when some of, like, the, yeah, but some of these like older school kind of traditionalist jazz people you know would sit there and listen to the previous you know groups dead silent and then at the bar people would tell you to shut the fuck up because it's not about you like it's about you enjoying it and and you need to know like what night of week you're going to be there um and that goes back to what you were saying about about the classical music for the first time in that time like can you imagine how special hearing a jazz band or in a prohibition night oh yeah oh yeah insane 
Yeah, you wouldn't. Or like waste, listening you wouldn't to Robert want to waste Johnson a, play. a moment of that. You would want to just. Yeah. You're not going to hear you something like that again in. anytime soon. Not with those acoustic. No. Yeah. Right. Like there's a there's a great PBS. So live. psychedelic. It's it's incredibly psychedelic. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan played with Albert King. It's one of my favorite. You can see the entire performance. Stevie Ray idolized Albert, and Albert was older at that point. And you see the influences of the person who invented it and the person who was carrying it and then making it their own on stage at the same time. And you could see the masters of both their crafts, but with different tonality. Like it, music is just, I mean, it's been a major part of my life. I, you know, I play, I, I've grown up listening to it and I'm a novice. I'm not like, not really into the theory or whatever, but you have to understand what it does to people, even electronic music, even shit that I don't like, it touches somebody. Like I went through the phase where I listened to corn, you know, I was like 13, you know, and like it was all emo and shit and listened to that. Cause it meant something to me then mm -hmm. it was angsty, you know? So I think to your answer about, will people be listening to Wu-Tang Clan or Bach or whatever? Yeah. I think the good thing is that the accessibility, the access, it's music has become accessible, but I it's just think pocket. that the, yeah, but the way that we've been listening to it has changed. I think the business of music has made it be about one or two or three songs instead of the entirety of the album. And I like my cousin has put out now two really exceptional psychedelic albums that he recorded completely in analog. And it sounds like they're recorded in the 60s. And I listened to them all the way through and there's purpose and intention behind the entirety of the album so i think as i as i like try to i think you just like lead like with anything if you lead with intention when you're like cooking or cleaning or listening to music or, or reading a book you get a little bit more out of it or changes at least you know how you're interacting with it lead with intention If you don't want to waste time with your health, you need to make sure you get enough protein and vegetables. Orgain's organic plant-based supplements can give you a boost in both departments. They don't contain any fillers, low-quality vitamin powders, or artificial sweeteners. They are also low-carbohydrate, gluten-free, and high in healthy fats. I use their superfood blend, and from time to time, I also use their organic nut and seed protein powder. I've never been big on pea protein, and I love that they have this option. For all the pea lovers, my girlfriend uses Orgain's Organic Plant-Based Protein and Superfoods Protein Powder. It's both vegetable green food and protein in a single product with a great vanilla taste. They also sell collagen, nutrition bars, and healthy drinks for kids. Use the coupon code PATRICK30 to get 30% off of your entire first order at Orgain.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Also, check out the Patrick Ely channel on YouTube where I post workouts, ramblings, and Jenna teaches yoga. Visit HealthyShelf.com for California farm stand and CSA reviews if you're on the West Coast. Always support local businesses. And you can support my efforts directly at patreon.com forward slash Patrick Ely. 
The best way to get in touch with me is on Instagram at PBCN.